Yeah, we don't. I mean, we don't even have to do. Please, please me. Well, I mean, we could. I think we should talk about something. We can talk about like the big songs from the album, and it is interesting that they did it all in one day. I didn't know that till you told me that today. Well, I'd I'd always heard like Twist and Shout was a one take. Yeah. Because his voice was so sharp, but I was like, I looked it up, and it was like, please, please me was done in a day, and then later on, like magical mystery tour it took him like 12 weeks in the studio to do this so <laughs> yeah. it's yeah strawberry fields took him forever it was like five weeks just for strawberry fields so yeah it's which is it's crazy to me i forgot like this see this album was so fucking good i just remember it being crazy but then i remember oh no like two of the best songs john and paul ever wrote were on this album and they didn't even want it on the album yeah it was supposed to be on sergeant pepper yeah a lot of cool shit. This this album's interesting, but it's also like they just they were like, "Ah, eh, I wrote this song just because." <laughs> There's yeah. like no no real meaning to any of these songs, really. It's funny. I I liked reading about like it would be cool to get your hands on like the old singles where mm-hmm. it's like one side is like it's super tiny and then one side's a song, one side's the mm-hmm. other song. And like they were fighting to have a song on the A side like yeah. it fucking mattered, but for some reason, it did. Which, which, which there was the one with two A sides. It was Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields. Yeah, they were yeah. they were double. It was a double A side, which is a hilarious bit of marketing. And yeah, and it came out like before Sergeant Pepper. Yeah, yeah, they released them because that's why they didn't make Sergeant. Let's let's save this for the pod. Okay, because <laughs> this is a good conversation. Hey, party people, welcome back. We are doing our second week of Beatlemania. This week we are focusing on Magical Mystery Tour from 1967. What? what? <laughs> Again, wholly inappropriate for a Beatles album. <laughs> if only we had trumpets and I was saying what, what. That yeah. would. Okay, anyway, well, let's get into it. Let me take you down, because I'm going to Strawberry. Nothing is real and nothing to get hung about Strawberry feels forever No one I think is in my Alright, here we are. Here week, we are. Week two. We've Be- calmed down a little bit. Beatlemania. Yep. We've the, the, have we? the, the intro came and we're settled down a little bit. Yes. But now we're back in, Kev. Let's fucking do this. Magical Mystery Tour. Yes. Magical Mystery Tour. Uh, I think this album is, I think it's, it, its parts are more well-known than its whole, for sure. I think people, everybody knows Penny Lane. Everybody knows, I don't know if everybody knows Strawberry Fields, but it's certainly well-known. Um, but again, it's, it's all you need is love. Everybody's heard that at least once. Yeah. Uh, but I think this album is underrated because it is so... It's such a strange... It's, well, again, it was released the same year as Sgt. Pepper, which is probably the most well-known outside of Abbey Road mm-hmm. uh, Beatles album. Uh, Sgt. Pepper is a long album. It's a very, very long album. It's a very experimental album. Uh, they started really messing around with a lot of stuff. And a lot of the stuff they do in this, this album here um, to a more psychedelic effect. Um, to me, Sgt. Pepper was them fully breaking away from Beatlemania in a record label approved way where they were still doing really really good stuff but it was not Beatlemania Beatles anymore this was adult Beatles this was them making just good rock music uh, where Magical Mystery Tour feels like the boys doing what they wanted to do this feels like again like we think we said it last week the B-side to Sgt. Pepper um, even with all the hits on it it still feels 
it feels even more experimental and it feels more like again like the boys the fab four doing exactly what they wanted to do and not having any real executive oversight on what they're doing plus if you do like any real deep dive into like around this time this was their most like acid trippy yeah. drug induced um you know they were trying a lot of different things doing they were smoking funny things yeah. Doing da, 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 outside the da, 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 yeah. kid, you know the Kid Rock. I was trying yes. to do the Kid Rock, but I fucked they up. They were smoking <laughs> funny things. Yeah, that uh, fucking horrible song. Yeah, uh, uh, but yeah, this this was like a really cool time, especially going from Rubber Soul to this. Mm-hmm. We kind of like transported almost two years, and it's cool to hear the backstory of how a lot of these songs came to be because a lot of them were recorded before Sgt. Pepper mm-hmm. or right around the time of Sgt. Pepper. So they, a lot of them feel like Sgt. Pepper, but it feels like these are the, the misfit Sgt. Pepper songs. Yeah. And it makes sense. They were just, they weren't mainstream enough. They weren't They weren't going to sell singles or they weren't going to, we talked about it a little last week. A lot of these songs are a little longer, they're like three and four minutes long, as opposed to the standard two minutes and 30 for radio back in the day. So they just wasn't going to get radio play, which I think, again, there, this feels like if, Sergeant Pepper was the uh, deep exhale. This is like that head rush you get after that that exhale, where it's like, and then you're settling back into your your body. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what this album was for me. And I know this is where a lot of riffs begin to start, but it doesn't feel that way when you're listening to it. This feels like the boys at their happiest and their most free. So um, I love this album. This this album, like I said last week, this is maybe my second or third favorite Beatles album. It, I can flip flop between this and Abbey Road. I think Sgt. Pepper is probably my favorite. Um, it's the one I've listened to the most. It's the most fun I think uh, to listen to front to back, it could, just because it goes all over the fucking place. But it still is cohesive. Yeah, and th- I think this album is the most like uh, the most pieced together of any album. Like these songs weren't put together as like a full album. Yeah. These were like songs that were kind of thrown together in an album and are you going to talk about the movie at all i i know because i don't i'm not familiar with the movie i've, n- I've never s- i've seen it maybe once and it was a long time ago so when, from what i was uh researching uh before the show uh the movie is like super vibrant and bright and yeah. uh they basically just like took a cameraman and like got on this bus for like three or four days and they just like toured around yeah. and just kind of did whatever and they realized because it was like a beetle movie they they shot it they wrote it they produced it but they didn't put a lot of thought into it they're like oh you know stuff will just happen kind of like what they do in the studio and uh there was no real like through line to the movie and when they aired it on tv it was like right as colored tvs were coming out so pretty much everyone saw it in black and white and they're like what the fuck is this like (laughs) am i missing something right and so you know that like vibrant and colorful element that you can see on the album artwork on Sgt. Pepper's album artwork where they were like really influenced by color and stuff like that. It just didn't come through in the movie. And so the movie was critically panned, but the album obviously did really well. Yeah. 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 Um, I had something to say and I forget what it was now. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, that kind of leads into um, in, a, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to do one more album, I believe. And then we're going to do a couple movies. Yeah. And I think that's going to lead to a lot of fun 
lot, a lot of fun uh, conversation. Yeah, we, it's, we haven't done a movie review on this podcast. I mean, we've done them before on other podcasts that we've done. And I, I always really enjoy those conversations. But it'll be fun to kind of – because you can't really – I don't think you can really talk about the Beatles fully without also talking about their movies because they're awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm down and I'm, I'm excited to do it. So you want to do song by song? Yes. Uh, do you want me to start? Because I know you don't necessarily love the first part of this album. Um, yeah. If, okay. you, if you want to start, you can. <laughs> sure. Uh, so Magical Mystery Tour, uh, aptly, is the first... T- it's the title track is the first track. That makes sense to me. Um, oh, I remember what my other point was when you were talking <laughs> before we get into track by track. Yeah. Um, you talked about I was really pieced together. They actually label this as a double EP, which I think is interesting. It kind of perfectly explains how this album feels because it does feel like two separate EPs. Um, anyway, um, Magical Mystery Tour, track number one. Um, it's pretty apparent from the horns at the start and the immediate, you get the chorus immediately. Um, that this is just not going to be your 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 average Beatles album. Um, it almost feels like the you're getting the end of the song first, which is which is really weird. Um, it, it's but it's it's it, I feel like it's expertly crafted because you get this kind of like in your face psychedelic pop of color, and then it slows down. I really really love that breakdown in the middle where it slows down. Um, it's kind of sexy, but it's uh, I don't know. There's something about the way they do it and they slow it down and everything slows down. The tempo slows. Down. I don't know. It's just really, really good. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I feel like I should hate it um, because this song doesn't have any verses. It's just two choruses. It's a la the magical mystery tour. <laughs> then the magical mystery tour is waiting to take you away. And that's it. That's all they say. Um, so I should hate it, but I don't because I think the Beatles aren't capable of making like horrible songs i don't think they are i think they're just too good at harmonizing and writing melodies and stuff like that so yeah it's a it's a weird weird song but i do love it for some reason well an album i think that's going to subvert expectations they're not going to do verse chorus verse chorus yeah. you know um but this song was written as an introduction to the film yeah so you can kind of picture like it's showing all the characters and like showing their names that like it's kind of like a perfect soundtrack for like the beginning of a movie sure yeah, we talked about that right before we recorded. I was like, this song is a horrible opener, but it's a great opener for this album. So that makes total sense. Yeah. And uh, I I honestly felt like very strong Sgt. Pepper. Like it almost starts the same way Sgt. Pepper did mm-hmm. with like the big trumpets and like the announcement of the album. And like, uh, you know, it just kind of, it makes you think this is going to be the same. And then it just like slowly gets more chaotic and like kind of, psychedelic and you know it's it's a good i think it's a good album opener for showing you like this is gonna be weird Mm -hmm. if you think you've listened to the beatles before this is not traditional beatles yeah and um i really like the the weird outro with the piano and it sounds like trains so like in the context of a movie it kind of makes sense of like things that you would hear while you're traveling through the town yeah uh so song number two uh by the way first song was a Lennon mccartney song yeah most of these are well a lot of these either paul or john wrote but they give they both get credit for it for some reason because i i think when they kind of like what we talked about last week like paul would have an idea for a song and they would kind of just work on it together and like tighten it up but uh fool on the hills track number two it's a lennon mccartney song um paul mccartney says this was about their meditation teacher maharshari mahash yogi because of his giggle, he wasn't taken too seriously. 
it was this idea of a fool on a hill, a guru in a cave. Yeah. So it's kind of like you think you know based on what you see, and it's not like that at all. Yeah. So I think it's a cool idea for a song, and it's definitely not like the the pining and getting mad at your girlfriend because she wants to have a job. You know, this is like more grown up and more adult topics. Um, the the flute sound I think is what I don't like about the song. Mm-hmm. Everything else I like, but that flute comes in, it's like beep beep beep, beep and you're like, oh. Yeah, there's a lot of they use a lot of instruments on this album that I've never heard of before. A lot of reverse instrumentation too, so you get a lot of weird, like so, like normally like sounds degenerate over time, but instead they have sounds that start degenerated and come into a pop, and then they just end. It's the same technique that they use on uh, "In the Air Tonight" by Phil Collins. Those drums that just kind of pop and don't degenerate. It's that's reverse. Let's reverse whatever. Yeah. Um, instrumentals i think is what i was looking for but they do that you use that a lot in this album and it, it can be quite jarring i i hate those fucking that fucking drum saw sound um but it's it's used to cool effect if you do it right anyway um anyway go ahead no that, that was really all i had oh. like i i like the song generally but that that flute really took me out of it yeah um once this song starts it, it feels like okay this feels comfortable beatles again but then they switch. They f- seamlessly switch into the chorus, and they, there's some music theory going on that I'm not quite sure. I think it's they, there's definitely a switch into a, a different key, but I think they both have a similar in their one through five structure. They all had they have a similar ending point, so it works. I don't know what it is, but I know the song was originally written in one key, and then it was written in another key, and then they kind of smashed the keys together. There's a lot of that that happened in Strawberry Fields as well. Um, but they they seamlessly switch into the chorus from the verse. There's no bridge. It's just in the it's in the middle of a sentence too, and I fucking love it. It's it's really really cool. Uh, when they say in the fool on the hill, and you can hear it kind of roll into it. It's really really cool. Um, it's it, this song features a recorder. It's a record. I think it's a recorder, uh, okay. <laughs> and a and a mouth harp. I'm pretty sure the thing, the, the dong, 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 that thing. Uh, I I I read what this was about afterwards, but I, it, it kind of my interpretation of it is pretty much similar. Um, I interpret it as like a the loner stoner who everybody kind of laughs at because he's just kind of a deadhead, but he is in, he's experiencing Nirvana and like his own like journey in his head so everybody doesn't know what he's going through they just see him as like this this uh you know drugged out weirdo on a hill um but he is experiencing nirvana in his own mind and that's kind of how i took it because i know i don't know they were all very (laughs) very high all the time yeah and i kind of saw that as like a metaphor for the whole band at that time like because they were coming off of their more popular than Jesus at this point. They were they were actually experiencing a lot of waning popularity. And so this to me felt like a commentary on what the band was going through too. It's like like you guys just don't get it. Like we're going through this this different arc in our career. It really doesn't matter how you think about us because we're we can be the fool on the hill. It doesn't it doesn't bother us one little bit. It kind of plays into like the social media thing now is yeah. like if you pretend to be happy than you are and you know there's plenty of people that just like don't interact on social media and they're happier because of it that i mean 50 something years later we can find a reason to to make it apply to real life (laughs) 
So that's cool. Yeah, you know? no, that's neat. So I'm, it, honestly, what you said about like it going straight from the verse into the chorus kind of makes me want to re-listen to the it's song. It's so it's so cool, man. If you because I after, like I did look it up. There is some musical theory going on that makes sense. But yeah, they just kind of they don't. There's no bridge. It just goes into the chorus. There's no bridge at all. It's it's just verse chorus. <laughs> um. Anyway, let's move on to number three, flying, because I think this is where we both start to really love the album. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, flying is awesome. It's an yes. instrumental. They don't do instrumentals often, uh, and I was I was reading about how Paul just thought they needed an instrumental, and they're like, "Well, let's just do twelve bar blues." And they're like, "Well, okay, well, we need a melody." So Paul wrote a melody, and then it ended up being awesome. <laughs> it's just a really cool. I think this is the. And I wrote down, I think this is the mo- the inner monologue of The Fool on the Hill. I feel like this is what's going on in his mind. And if that's the case, that's really, really ingenious like album structure. Because you lead in talking about this fool and then you kind of zoom into his mind and then flying is just happening in there. And I <laughs> really choose to believe that that is what's happening uh, because it's really cool uh, to think about it that way. It's just happy and simple and blissful. It's childlike. Um, but it's also kind of this grandiose kind of like feeling of out of body. I don't. It's a lot of this album is that same kind of childlike splendor, but also through an adult lens. It's that's. I think that's why I love this album so much. Not to spoil my closing notes, but it's childlike, but also enlightening at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the first time all four of them had a songwriting credit on a song. Yeah, which makes sense. It's an instrumental, yeah. obviously, but. Um, it's so heartwarming and it leaves you with this like feeling at the very end of like, oh, like what, what else is going to happen? It makes you like, it's almost like suspenseful. And I thought this was their first instrumental. It's not Uh 12 bar obviously was their first one in 1965. Mm-hmm. Um, the end of the recording originally had a fast paced, traditional new Orleans jazz influence coda, but that ending was replaced with an ending featuring tape loops created by John Lennon and Ringo. Um, the loops extended the song to nine minutes and 38 seconds, <laughs> but the track was cut down to oh, only fuck. two minutes. I want to hear seconds. that version of that song, man. That's <laughs> fucking awesome. Uh, part of the loops were used alongside an element of the ending jazz sequence to make the bus an incidental piece used at various points on the TV movie. Yeah. Honestly, reading a lot of the stuff about the songs and stuff made me want to watch the movie. Yeah, so I want to watch Maybe we it. could do that as like a bonus sure. episode of sure. like just like a 15 minute. We watched it and we want to talk about yeah. it. Um, but yeah, you got anything else about flying? No. What a, it's such a great song, and it's crazy. There's that much to talk about for a two minute seventeen instrument. Yeah, it's amazing. I think I thought I had that same thought too. I was like, I have a lot to say about this instrument. We normally you just fly by like interludes like this, but it's really fucking good. It's for how simple it is. It's it's really enjoyable to listen to. I think a lot of these songs were like, let's keep it simple. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like Sergeant Pepper was pretty intricate, and this yeah. was like. But what if we didn't? You know? <laughs> what if we had? Yeah, what if we just wrote a song about fucking being tired, which is what the next song is about? <laughs> yeah, Blue Blue Jay Way. Uh, this is a George Harrison song. Yes. Uh, God damn, this song is eerie. It it manifests like the feeling of like trying to stay awake mm-hmm. so perfectly. I don't know how he did it, and I think it's because he uses that the Hammond organ, and it just adds to that creepiness. Mm-hmm. Um, alongside of the fact that Charles Manson used this song in his Helter Skelter theory. Yeah. Um, I'm sure George Harrison wasn't super proud of that fact, but it is what it is. Uh, lyrically, he wrote this song waiting for his friend uh, in L.A., and he was, like, dozing off, and he wrote this song to, like, keep himself awake. Yeah. 
And that's just like, God, <laughs> to be that creative, you know, yeah. how many times you you stayed up late waiting for a friend to call you or play video games or something. And you're like, you know what? There's an organ in the corner. I'll just go write a song real quick. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. said he wrote it as like a joke based on the conversation <laughs> they had on the phone. It's like he's like, it's on Blue Jay Way. He's like, well, if I don't find it, I can just talk to a cop, you know. And it's like, that's those are all just the lyrics of the song. It's just the conversation they had, but they turned it into like this really. It, this to me, if the first three songs were psychedelics, this is downers. This is somebody who smoked a fuck ton of weed on a Tuesday and is waiting for their friend to show up, but it feels like an eternity because they're fucking high as shit. Um, but they also wrote a cool song in the meantime. Right. <laughs> it's like the mixture of hyper productivity and hyper laziness that weed gives you sometimes. Um, I sound like a fucking cop. <laughs> I hate saying weed. What am I going to say? Cannabis? I don't know. I don't, what's the cool? What's What do the kids call weed? The grass, nowadays? man. <laughs> smoking the, the grass. Smoking that wacky tobacco. Um, <laughs> the devil's lettuce. <laughs> We're getting older and older. Um, uh, no, but uh, to me, it just, I think the first line of the song, there was a fog in LA is perfect because not only is it probably true, um, but it sets the monotone coloration of this song so well. And I think I've talked about the colors of their music more, I think with the Beatles than I ever have about anyone else, because I think they paint musically really well Mm -hmm. and i think colorful music is a concept that not a whole not maybe not everybody understands but i think if you really start when you start listening to music critically more you kind of understand what that means just intrinsically it's like yeah this music is colorful like it sounds colorful um and this song is gray as gray can get and so i think that fog is obviously literal but i think it's metaphorical as well i think it's just this person is in a fog whether it be sleep induced drug induced or both probably was yeah and a foggy night can make you like just kind of zone out yeah yeah it's 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 really really again for just a throwaway song it's really really good i fucking love this song (laughs) i love this whole album um but moving on to uh your mother should know um there's no real deeper meaning to this song i think uh this is a paul mccartney mostly written song i think he wrote it while he was like visiting family and just kind of noodling around on a piano. And he, I think it was largely inspired by his aunt. Um, and he just started playing a song that his mother would know, even though she was born a long, long time ago. Um, it's cool. It's fine. It's a catchy jaunt. <laughs> it's, it's a fun little jaunt. Uh, yeah, it's it's nothing special here. But there is a special power to the way um, Paul writes songs specifically that makes you feel like it's your nostalgia as well. Uh, he's just so we'll talk about it again in penny lane but he's so good at making his memories feel like your memories as well i think there's again that liverpudlian uh blue collarishness to them that makes it uh immediately relatable to everybody it's it's what country music wishes they could do which yeah. is relate to everybody so yeah i i kind of took the song as like a you know, we should listen to the older generation and empathize and not yeah. not just write them off because they're old and they don't understand. And it's kind of like a, like, we should, it kind of plays into like the theme of the last song, All You Need Is Love, is like, maybe we should not be so quick to like write people off. Yeah. So if older people have wisdom, list, sit down and listen. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I thought it was a cool song and I love the piano driven song. It was like, the first time we had that kind of song they've kept it they've kept it different every single track so far yeah. and we're what five songs in yeah that doesn't stop every song is different yeah 
this is oh man i fucking i love this album I, i've listened to it three times a day if that tells you anything. <laughs> it, it makes you feel like it's gonna be a creepy song and then it just kind of plays it turns into like a playful song yeah it's just kind of joyous and happy and it's like oh yeah no this is a, a song that your mother would know it's just i don't know there's a, just a bounce to it it's almost like ragtime mm-hmm. yeah um number six i am the walrus yes. Uh, last song was a Lennon McCartney song, obviously, and so is this one. Yes. I Am the Walrus. This is such a bizarre song. Yes, it's intentionally bizarre. Uh, John's vocals are distinctive, and I have n- i don't know how he made them sound so crazy different, yeah. but had I not known his voice before, like I would have been like, who the f- mm-hmm. Did they get a fifth person? Is this like guest vocals? But this song is one of those ones where it like goes on, and you're like, this is kind of a weird song. And it just slowly gets more bizarre, and it it feels like it unravels, and like almost like a riptide is like falling over itself. And I really liked it for that. Mm-hmm. Did you look into why the lyrics are so weird? Um, no. So it's a funny story. It's an it's a troll. It, this whole song is a troll by Lennon. Okay. Um, he got he some uh, schoolboy wrote him a letter and told him that his um. English teacher was having them break down Beatles lyrics and trying to figure out the meaning. And uh, John thought that was hilarious. So he wrote back, he actually wrote back to the kid. He's like, I'm going to write my next song and make it the hardest, most impossible, ridiculous lyrics that nobody, like, they're just going to be nonsense because he thought it was funny <laughs> to have an English teacher try to break down what it meant. Like, so I sitting on a cornflake, all these like weird uh, nonsense lines that mean nothing. They feel like they should mean something. Yeah. But they're not. It's just, john having poking fun at an english teacher because he thought it was hilarious that somebody was trying to break down like love me do or something like yeah. that. <laughs> it's like, what is what's the fucking point guy <laughs> um so he intentionally wrote it to be unintelligible which i think is hilarious did you ever watch the andy milanakis show yeah if you wrote these lyrics down i would think it was like an andy milanakis <laughs> yeah. song yeah, it's fucking hilarious <laughs> um the, uh, that aside um there's something magical about the way, like I think a lot of it has to do with John's vocals um, and the way he delivers them and the way you get the, when the, the Joker laughs at you. <laughs> I think it's just, everything is so perfectly placed in this song. See how they run like pigs from a gun. See how they fly. It's really fucking good. Um, the, another interesting fact about this is this got banned on BBC Radio because of the um, line, a pornographic priestess, uh, boy, you've been a naughty girl, you let your knickers down, um, which I that, honestly one of my favorite lines in the song because I fucking, <laughs> it's so funny. Um, just thinking about, you know, I think it's funny because it came off of their religious, like more popular than Jesus thing. And so he's like, I'm just going to fucking poke the church a little bit more here. Um Double down on it. Why yeah, not? why not? It's fucking <laughs> John didn't care at this point. He he was he was who he was, and uh, yeah, the the cello's laying down a meaty bed, and the violins and horns wrapping around John's voice, almost kind of mimicking him in a way. Uh, I don't know. There's there's some real method to this madness, even though it was just an intentional troll. I think he wanted to make this as good as possible, and yeah. he really really nailed it here. There's a reason this is a ubiquitous song, and everybody at least is. If you've listened to any sort of music from like that era, you you are at least aware of "I Am the Walrus" because it is a it's a legendary song in their discography. Yeah, uh, this is one of the few songs that charted twice mm-hmm. uh, because it was on an EP before. Uh, it was on the "Hello Goodbye" single, 
and then the master uh, the magical mystery tour yeah. so it it charted twice under the same name yeah um it it drives me crazy now when spotify like puts a bunch of singles together almost like an ep and then mm-hmm. they put the album out it makes it very confusing to like track when songs came out but anyway um yeah that's all i had you got any more no, if you haven't listened to the song, please do. Especially knowing that it's just John being a troll makes it that much better. Because when I when I listen to it for my notes list, I was like, "Fuck, this song means something." I almost I'm sure of it. It means something. It's like a it's a, a statement on communism or something that was going on in the '60s that John was really a fan of or wanted to poke poke fun at. But no, it's just him wanting to frustrate an English teacher <laughs> because he's That's an asshole. So great. <laughs> uh yeah so we'll move on to hello goodbye um this uh, interestingly this i feel like this was also part of the schism because um john really thought i am the walrus should have been an a side but it was the b side to hello goodbye and that was a that was on their producer who thought hello goodbye was more commercially successful would have been and it he's right i mean it's just a more accessible song um this is hello goodbye is the beginning of the sobering up of this album the last the uh the last from seven to eleven here is just it's some of the best songwriting the beatles have ever done i think uh i don't know there's just something about hello goodbye that and what Paul said about it, it was about the duality of man, right? And how he accentuated the positive because he's the one saying hello. You're the one saying goodbye. Don't bring your negative vibes in here. There's something, but there's something about the way, again, it's delivered. The the way it builds up the do, 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 do. It, it, there's a like, very simple crescendo, but it's, I don't know. It, the, the, I think we've talked about the way the boys harmonize. It just, it's always on display and it's always. never not good. It's never not perfect. It's yeah. it's just, it's, they set the tone with it perfectly every single time. Even if it, there's, there's not many lyrics in this song. It's hello, goodbye. You say yes. I say no. Uh, you say stop. I say go, go, go. I wanted that fucking guitar dive is so fucking good. Um, George doesn't have a whole lot of guitar parts in this, in this album, but that because it's in the back of the track but it's just it's the tone the tone is so good it's so uh it's so silky smooth it's like chocolate mousse like like sliding over your tongue it's like it's ah it's just it, i don't know that it's uh, fuck i love it so much that's the really the thing that saves this song for me from just being kind of like whatever it's an it's a typical paul song um but it's i don't know man there's i'm always constantly blown away whenever i go back and really dive into the beatles again how good all of their songs are <laughs> It's really not a bad one. There's always something that you're like, oh, okay, I know where the song yeah, is going, yeah. and you. There's like a little moment where you're like, ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, this, the lyrics were written by Paul during an exercise in like word association. Mm-hmm. So like when you're doing a vocal warm up, you're like sure. saying words, and uh, he was with his vocal coach, and they went through this, and he was like, oh, that's pretty good. I'll write that into a song, and it's just it's so cool to hear like a very simple and poppy song but still have that like still kind of have that weird Sergeant Peppery. We're coming off. I am the walrus. So it like still feels like you're almost in like a circus or something. And I've heard this song so many times in like commercials, Mm -hmm. like covers of the song. I had no idea this was a Beatles song. That's just like uh, the song getting better. I thought it was a smash yeah. song for the longest time. Didn't did it <laughs> oh, was on no. uh, it was on Cat in the Hat yeah. and I was like, "Oh, cool." No, that yeah. song's so good too. Smash Mouth's version's pretty good too. 
Smash Mouth has a new single out called "Sorry About Your Penis," and I was really, I was really tempted to listen to it today. It showed up on my release radar. I was like, mm, I don't want Smash Mouth on my just recently played, yeah. so I'm not going to listen to it. I was going to, but I just continued living <laughs> my life. <laughs> I really want to listen to a song by Smash Mouth called "Sorry About Your Penis." I'm in- intrigued. Yeah, but anyway, that's completely um, yeah. off topic. <laughs> um. Yeah, let's move on to Strawberry Fields. Let's do it. Uh, Strawberry Fields is a Lennon McCartney song, as was the last song. I don't know if I mentioned that. Uh, this was this, the- let's let's be clear. Lennon wrote this song. This is a John. This is about John's childhood specifically. Yes, this is lyrically. It's his. Uh, this was the first song the Beagles recorded after completing Revolver, and was intended to be included on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, with pressure from the record company and management for new product. They were forced to issue this as a single with Penny Lane. Mm -hmm. So that's why Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane are both on this album because they had a they had like an unwritten rule. If they released a song as a single, they weren't gonna put it on the next album. Which is cool. Yeah, it's just like they didn't want to cheat people buying their shit. You know, that you don't I don't want you to buy the same thing twice. Which yeah, it's awesome. You wait like eight months and you're like, Oh god, I forgot how much I love this song. So that that was a really cool uh, move. It's a cool song about reminiscing about the good times of adolescence. Um I think these next two songs are picture perfect reminiscing without being too gushy for the past. Yes, they're perfect. It's like all these bands that do it now, sometimes they get a little too gushy and like pine for the past. But this is just like looking back at it like, oh, these were good times. Well, the classic example. Look at this photograph. <laughs> there's none of that here. You know what I mean? It's it's There's no cheese whatsoever. No. Strawberry, Strawberry Fields Forever, mm, mm, it's top five Beatles songs for me. And I think part of it is having that big band in there to just mm-hmm. like accentuate the feeling. And it's obvious why these two songs are so iconic is because they have like that big production, the big band coming in. And it's like, ah, I love it. It it just makes the nostalgia even that much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, this is this is one of my earliest like. Beatles songs I remember hearing and fucking just falling in love with it. I heard it when I was very young for the first time. I remember it's it stands out in my memory. I know exactly where I was at in Wilmington in the car when I heard it. It was by the Dominoes over by the high school. And I heard it and I remember thinking this is amazing. And I don't rem- I don't know why I felt that at the time, but there was just something that stuck in my mind all these years. And it wasn't until later in life when I really started digging into the Beatles like full time that I really started to understand why this song is so good. And it's because of all of the things. There's so many experimental things going on here. There's like 40 different instruments that I've they just don't make any sense to me that I've never heard of before that I, they used on this track. They recorded three different versions of this over five weeks. And the final version ended up being a mix of the two. Um, they were it was so like you can hear the clear difference between the like the chorus and the verses and i think that's where the mix happens and this the fucking chorus that nothing to get stuck about it's so good and it's strawberry fields forever just something about the way that chorus like bounces off of the verses how they're very understated and the drum fill like ringo's drum fill before each verse and chorus is so good it's so fucking good like I feel like it's pretty basic, but the way it feels in this song is so expertly crafted. This, I think this is maybe, John said this was his best work with the Beatles, and I, I tend to agree with that. 
Now there's, I mean, people would argue with, might argue with that. They might have better songs, but I think this is the best bit of songwriting and like song construction that they really, I don't, can't think of a much better example than Strawberry Fields. It's just everything about it is good. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. It's just. No, I think you're right. I think I, I hadn't heard this song until this past week and yeah. it was like, without a doubt, the best song on this album. Yeah. Yeah, it's easily my favorite song on this album. And there's a lot of great songs on this album. Yeah, so yeah. um like the last last four songs I think are all great. Um for different reasons. Um but this is I, I really think if you really want to like get into like old Beatles, don't I mean you can start with I think Abbey Road is a great album to start with because it is just really good. But if you really want to know what they were capable of, this is a perfect song to show with somebody. I think anybody would like this song. It's I don't know. They, I don't can't see anybody listening to the song and be like, nah, that's fucking sucked. I don't want to listen to the Beatles ever again. It's, yeah. it's too good. That chorus is too good. Their harmonies are too good. The melodies in the song are too good. Uh, mm. so let's move on <laughs> <laughs> to Penny Lane, um, which again is another I think a perfect another perfect song. And uh, John was actually really complimentary of Paul for the lyrics in this song. He's like, this proves that Paul could write a complete song. And I think towards the end, they both were really they really hated each other's songs. So for Paul, for um, John to say something like that about Penny Lane and have that back to back on an album where it's might be two of their best songwriting efforts of all time. Um, it's, I, I don't know. There's something, there's something magical about the back half of this album, starting with these two songs. It almost felt like Paul was blissfully simple, you mm-hmm. know, like he just, yeah, he, he was okay with like having a simple song. Yeah, He's a dork. And we- John, John Lennon always felt like he was a little more cerebral and wanted like he wanted there to be more to the song. Mm-hmm. It had to have deeper meaning. Mm-hmm. And Paul was never I, I don't think he was ever that interested in that. No, I agree with that 100 percent. I think as somebody who's listened to the Beatles and gone back and forth between liking Paul better and liking John better. I think it depends on where you're at in your life. Like now I'm at a point where I really like John's songs more than I do like Paul songs. But I know why Paul song song why Paul written songs are good there's yeah there's something about the way he just is able to write something simple but so again like i said earlier this is paul writes country music better than any country artist probably hasn't for the last 30 40 years Uh, and i think that's a product of his time where you had to really tell stories and you had to be good at it and you had to make it relatable to everyone and paul just was able to tap into everyone's like nostalgia mm-hmm. just talking about a street talking about the barber shop where he has pictures of all the heads he's had the pleasure to cut and it, just everything on penny lane it's in your ears and in your heart it's just it's it's the old dirt road in country songs but for everybody and it's just i don't know it, it's something it's like maybe it's the herb alpert horns that are just kind of cheesy or this just the simple nature of it where they just allow their harmonies to ring and that double the double recording technique that they do a lot just kind of really fits and it's just super sweet and genuine and i don't know i love penny lane as well yeah i i love it too and this was the second song that they didn't want on the album they didn't want strawberry fields and they didn't want penny lane on this album but i couldn't imagine this album without it yeah it wouldn't it's it like wouldn't be a, as good of an album yeah it's an anchor that holds the album down from being like an erratic mess yeah um so yeah you sent me a, a a link earlier about the james corden uh carpool karaoke with paul mccartney mm-hmm. and i'm usually not a big fan of the carpool karaoke's but to go through liverpool with paul and james 
James does a really good job of like just like facilitating those yeah. those memories and seeing them go down Penny Lane was so freaking heartwarming. Yeah. And uh, if I'm going to put the link, I know I said I didn't, I was going to put links last week, but I'm going to put the link to the <laughs> carpool karaoke and it's worth watching, especially now. Like Paul looks old, but he still has that charm that he had back in the sixties. Yeah. He can still fucking sing too, which is crazy. Yeah. And he, he does a good job. <laughs> he like makes James harmonize with him. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, oh, such a great video and such a great song because I hadn't heard this song either. Um, That's fucking wild to me, dude. The fact that you're almost 30 and you haven't heard Strawberry Fields Forever and Penny Lane is nuts. I'm super glad I picked this album then. Yeah. I I just had no idea. And these songs felt so much better than... Not that the the rest of the album isn't great, but these two songs are so good. These are better. These are better than the rest of the album. For sure. And it just... It felt like, all right, we've been doing drugs and maybe this is like the clarity where you're like, all right, you know what? We're not going to do acid this weekend. We're going to go back to Liverpool, yep. you know, and just to like go back to your hometown and kind of reset maybe for the holidays or something. It, it was it was cool to like go through this journey of the album with them, even though like this album wasn't made with that in mind. I still felt like it was taking you on that kind of journey. Mm-hmm. So track number 10. You ready? Mm-hmm. Yes, I love this track. Baby, you're a rich man. Uh, it's a Lennon McCartney song. This song was written. Uh, there's two different stories, obviously. Uh, one says that it was written for their manager, Brian Epstein, about his thrust into fame. Mm-hmm. And it was also about beautiful hippies in California. Yeah. So take your pick. It was kind of two songs kind of meshed together. Yeah, I think Paul had the hook and John had the the verse. The how does it feel to be one of the beautiful people? Like that's about their manager, I think. Yeah. Because he was like, how does, how does it feel, bud? How does it feel now that you're one of us? Like. You can't leave your house now. You're stuck yeah. in the hotel room with us. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's got a funky beat to it. Yeah. Uh, I love the the bass throughout, and I'd love to get Louis' thoughts on the bass because it's the first time I've noticed a Paul McCartney bass mm-hmm. bass line. Um, yeah, uh, I do like the fact that they just like push two songs together. It didn't necessarily fit, but they're like, you know what? Fuck it. You know, we'll we'll make it work. It doesn't have to make sense. Just like I'm the walrus. Like if you're trying to like overanalyze this song, it's not going to work. Um, it should be noted. The song was used in the 2010 film social network. Interesting. Kind of, kind of appropriately too. Yeah, sure. It's about a, it's a rapid rise to fame. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, I love the way this track starts where it just kind of slowly fades into that super, like almost whispery chorus. Mm-hmm. And then the what do you want to be? And then the ba- the baby are a rich man. I like I don't like that chorus as much, but it fits with the rest of the song because it comes right back down into that hushed. It's oh man, this song is just so much cooler than me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this song is this like this is a song that is I'm not cool enough to listen to. Between like the the Middle Eastern kind of flute and whatever the fuck it is that they're they're recording with there. Um, I think it's actually like a little piano. I think I saw somewhere that John's technique for playing it was just to roll an orange over the top of it and just get the weird sounds out of it, which I think is hilarious. It was an early synthesizer known as a clavioline. Yes. Clavolin? Clavioline? Whatever. I don't know. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's. I had the same note about the orange going across the keyboard. It's really funny. funny. It's really funny because it's funny to me to see how fucking stupid the Beatles are 
but they still make better songs than almost anyone in the history of music has ever made. Certainly in pop rock. Sure. They're the standard. Yeah. And, and, and just the fact that they just fucked around most of the time. And it's just so funny to me that because they had that really strong bass and harmony and they knew how to write a hook, they could just fucking roll a, an orange across a, a, an early synthesizer and make it sound awesome. I mean, they 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 could, they were one of the pioneers of like looping tape tracks and stuff. I mean, people were doing it at the same time. Like the Who was really doing that a lot. Um, the Bee Gees. Yeah, I mean, loop tracks were a thing, but they. I just feel like the Beatles were like just giggling the whole time. Like, well, what if I just fucking rolled an orange across this thing? Like, yeah, that's cool. Hey, fuck it. Let's 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 you know, let's chop and screw that and make it work. Um, and it's just it's just so funny to me uh, to see how little they cared, but how also how much they cared about the music they were making. But yeah, no, it's it's weird to me that this feels like the perfect penultimate song where this doesn't feel like a closer. It feels like the song before a closer. I don't feel like any other song is more perfectly fit. I think this is the first time it's ever happened where I can say this song needs to be the second to last song on the album. It fits yeah. so perfectly. It's celebratory, but it also feels like you're coming to a close. Like I can imagine being at a bar and this coming on before closing time. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, we're having a good time, but hey, it's almost, you know, finish them up, start drinking them up. Mm-hmm. Um like I can hear like uh, the bartender at the escape in Wilmington, like drink them up. And then uh, how does it feel to be? And it's in the lights coming up. It just feels like the end of a night song. And the song ends and everybody's like cheering and you're like, all right, we got time for one more. Yep. And we're coming up with all you need is love. Boom, 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 boom. Which is the ba-dum. perfect last song. Yeah, it is. It is. Because, um, yeah, we'll just hop right into it. Let's it, do it. It's it's a simple message, uh, and it, there's no there's no deeper meaning here than it's just simple. All you need is love, and this is also the last song on Yellow Submarine, so it has a really special place in my heart because Yellow Submarine was the vehicle through which I got most of my Beatles content as a younger child. Uh, I watched that movie maybe once a day growing up. I fucking love it. It's colorful. It's beautiful. Uh, there's a lot of stuff from Miss Magical Mystery Tour on there. Um, a lot of stuff from Sgt. Pepper and their later albums on there. So I was exposed to the cool Beatles growing up. <laughs> yeah. More than I was like the the bubblegum pop Beatles, which I think helped me like them more. Um, but All You Need Is Love is between like the bum ba da da dum All you need is love, love. Like the way it's just... It, it, the way they punctuate and the way they deliver, um, this is, I think this is, might be John's best album as far as like, mu- like actual musical performance. Um, it's, it really kind of fits in with the stuff he started releasing when he was uh, a, a solo artist where it was all about like peace and love and harmony. And Ringo talked about this song later where he really loved the fact that this really was just about putting flowers and guns. And it was not an anti-war song necessarily, but they were just doing it for the peace and they were doing it for everybody to get along. And all you need is love. Uh, Nothing that you can say hasn't been said. And just the whole, the whole verse. I love the, it's easy. It's like, it's almost like a pleading. It's like, it's easy, man. All you need is love. I fucking, I love this song. And then when they start ad-libbing at the end, um, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. This song is good. It's great. It's a great, it's a perfect closer. For sure. What what a great song. And it feels like, that's, after this, it's like, we can't make it any more simple for you. The whole thesis of this is, 
All you need is love. Mm-hmm. It's it's really that simple. And yeah, it's such a simplistic song and it's beautiful for that. Just like it's it kind of manifests John perfectly of being a humanitarian, all the all the cool things that John did in his life. It was just like this is a uh, more autobiographical, I think, than Strawberry Fields. Mm-hmm. It's like this is what he feels is most important. Yeah, the Strawberry Fields is young John. This is current John. This yeah. is how he feels the world should operate. It's mm-hmm. just just love each other. Yeah. E L E. Yeah. I don't know what the answer is. Everybody love everybody. Oh, okay. <laughs> you, <laughs> there was a Will Ferrell movie, Semi Pro, where he yells at. He's like, E L E. Everybody love everybody. <laughs> I've seen Semi Pro once, maybe. That's way too little. No. <laughs> um yeah no um my last notes were there's nothing else to say this song kicks ass this album kicks ass the beatles kick ass those are my last notes i was just so happy by the end of my notes listen which is an odd feeling for me yeah (laughs) um i I don't know just listening to the beatles makes me happy man because i I know their story it's interesting they're a bunch of they were goofy but there was also a lot of like internal strife um like creative strife which is also always hard to deal with but i think they all separated amicably and i think they all obviously there's an animosity between young guys splitting up and having differences but i think at the end of the day they all still liked each other i mean john and paul were friends from like primary school so right um you spend that much time with somebody, you're going to have a falling out eventually. You you spend your 20s being the biggest band and doing everything you can creatively. Like they were just tapped out, I think. Like yeah. they shouldn't and couldn't have made any more Beatles music. Yeah. And to go their own separate ways and like be their own people was was cool and it was cool that they all did it like as sing like solo artists. Yeah. Um you want me to do my closing thoughts? Yeah, go for it. It's pretty uh, pretty succinct and like just this was so much fun, especially after the last album that felt like a, tr- not a traditional rock album, but like where you could feel the experimentation, but it was still a little contained. This at points was just unraveled yeah. and just psychedelic and not anything what I was expecting from the Beatles. Like Sergeant Pepper, I thought was as crazy as it got. I, I didn't know anything about this album at all before we did it. And I'm kind of, thankful you did choose this one because there is so many iconic songs that i just didn't know and to get to go through this album and hear some of the simple songs and hear some of like the crazy songs it was just a perfect blend of both yeah no i i i I was really i really really fucking want to talk about sergeant pepper with somebody um because i love that album and i've never really been able to just sit down and talk about it with somebody but i also realized it would be it would have been a slog and it would have everybody knows Sgt. Pepper for the most part. I mean, they they're aware of the cultural impact of Sgt. Pepper at least. Um, so I really wanted to do Magical Mystery Tour because, again, it's one of those albums nobody really thinks about from the Beatles. You know, you think again, you think about Abbey Road, you think about Let It Be, you think about um, the White Album, which I have controversial thoughts on. Um, but you don't really think about Magical Mystery Tour. And to me, it's their, some of their best work. And it goes unnoticed, and I think that's a crime. I really do. I think 
because like just listen to strawberry fields forever if you've never listened to this album just listen to that song and tell me it's not fucking great <laughs> yeah because I, I, I thought about that i was listening trying to figure out my song of the show today and i was like i can't nothing is as good as what i just listened to because so it's really hard for me to pick something to like say oh i want to talk about this song this week because i just listened to one of my favorite albums of all time so. yeah i honestly the last two weeks i've struggled with songs of the week yeah and normally like if if you or i pick like an album the other one i'm like all right i'll get through it but you know it wasn't my favorite but like these have occupied a lot of my mind the last two weeks yeah and it, it's dangerous for me doing deep dives in the beatles because it's all i want to listen to mm-hmm. because i, I i'm always blown away like i talked about it before i'm always blown away by how little they gave a shit but how awesome the shit they made was and how they through the constraints of record labels at the time because they basically owned you in in every sense of the way um in perpetuity is one of the most the dirtiest terms in legalese and um that's what it felt like for the beatles it felt like they were owned by their record label and they had to do things a certain way but eventually they said fuck it i'm not gonna do that and we're gonna make cool music and it's gonna be but I think also it was good that they were forced to do to develop this base of like really good like pop harmonies and and melodies and how to write songs because it allowed it you had that base of like really really good basics that you could then fuck around with yeah Uh, so it made it made them I don't know I, I like sitting down for this album I'm sure was fun because like they could be it was just them four in the, in the studio with their manager and you know whoever's yeah, George Martin their producer so. yeah and just to like be alone and that's why i think they spent so much time later on was like this is a time where like no one can bug them yeah cuz they're in the studio they're working but it's crazy to read some stories about like um hey we gave you like 6 months to write this song is it ready and he's like oh i still got a few weeks i'll write it here in a few days <laughs> it's like <laughs> they're so dumb dude perfect procrastination and then they crank out a song and it's like oh it's that song and you're like it's that's like a once in a lifetime thing for most artists yeah like jimmy world wrote the middle in like 30 minutes yeah uh death cab for cutie wrote i will follow you into the dark in like 20 minutes Mm -hmm. but the beatles did that consistently on multiple albums all the time all the time so uh anyway uh you want to read you want me to read Ben's? Yeah, because I don't have it pulled up. So okay, um, so yeah, that's our that's our thing about Magical Mystery Tour. That's our thing. That's we our, just did our thing. That is our analysis of arguably the second best Beatles album. Yeah, <laughs> right after Rubber Soul. Um, Benjamin Benjamin Carter says, "Loving Beatlemania, boys. It's always fun to look back on where the music we love comes from." Here's to hoping we get Yellow Submarine content. That's that's happening. Yeah. Uh, I want to stick to the retrospective theme for my song of the show submission and throw it back to It Doesn't Matter Anymore by Buddy Holly. Buddy is a legend for a reason. First really introduced to me uh, by a professor who in college was teaching a history of rock and roll course for funsies, or so I thought that class was fucking hard. Yeah. Uh, it probably doesn't hold up as well as the Beatles' wild creativity in their later years, but I'll never forget being blown away by Buddy's originality for his time pioneering several uh, sounds and recording techniques the Beatles and others fine-tuned to change what rock could be. It's just a fun little jaunt. There you go. XOXO, Benji, Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> uh, appreciate the input, Ben. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to put that in songs of the show. Mm-hmm. I admittedly know most about Buddy Holly because of that Weezer song. Yeah. You um, just like Buddy Holly? Yeah. 
Oh, and he does look like Buddy Holly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's I'm excited to listen to it. I haven't listened to Buddy it. Holly's good. I haven't listened to a lot of Buddy Holly, but it's it's interesting to always listen to stuff from that era and just kind of trace it back through your own lens of what you've heard and like, oh, that sounds familiar. That's cool. That's where that came from. Admittedly, I'm getting really into like 50s and 60s rock and roll. It, it's it, it happens to everybody, dude. <laughs> uh, I, I like I go through that phase all the time where it's like and it starts usually listening to like a Led Zeppelin again or diving into the Beatles, and then you start oh they were they were influenced by uh, this, this that and the other uh, Chuck Berry, uh, you know Buddy Holly, Elvis Presley. You start listening to that. Elvis is fucking great too. Like mm-hmm. I always just wrote off Elvis, but there's some really good Elvis shit out there. Beach Boys um there's just a lot of really good like the animals were great uh it was really funny to me um because the house of the rising sun was always the song that popped up after this album was done playing i was like i don't want to fucking listen to the song but it it made me happy that that's what that's the type of music they group this album with i was like the beatles are good <laughs> if you like is that the do you believe in magic song huh no that dum 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 there was a house in New Orleans. You never heard the house? Oh, my God, no. Dill. Jesus Christ. Uh, we're going to listen to that. I'm a noob. As soon as this comes off. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's. I don't know where I was going with that. But, um, it. Ha- yeah, it happens to everybody at some point. If you listen to enough music, you're going to want to find out where shit came from. And you really start to realize, oh, no, this shit still holds up. And there's a reason people still talk about it today. It's not just like this was influential for its time. It's like, no, this is timeless. Mm-hmm. And so I can listen to this now and enjoy it just as much, if not more, than the people that were living it at the time because I have the frame of reference of time having passed. So, yeah, man, fucking awesome. Yeah. (laughs) That's why I love Lucille Bogan because it's a fucking, you know, old woman in the fucking 30s talking about (laughs) sucking a dick until (laughs) I make you shit. (laughs) Yeah, go back and listen to our songs of the show, or not songs of the show. What did we just do? Top songs of 2021. Yeah. And listen to, go back and listen to Kevin's song of the show from that. Yeah, that's great. Uh, what's your song of the show this week? Oh, shit. Um, it is, let me unlock my phone. That's my song of the show, that one I just sang. Uh, it's Valley of Violence by Zomboy. And Zomboy operates in this weird, he's a dubstep guy. I mean, I kind of grew out of dubstep pretty quickly. But if you do it correctly, it can still be fucking awesome. And he's more of like a hard style dubstep he's better than just dubstep artists let's just put it that way um this song is filthy as fuck i felt dirty after listening to it but in the worst way possible i i texted you when i put it on there i was like my face hurts from stank face because i was it was it was pulled back for <laughs> the entire four minute runtime of this song i was like oh god literally as soon as the song starts carrying momentum it turns into like a metal dubstep yeah conglomeration yeah and yeah, it like doesn't let off the entire time. I always imagine when I hear songs like this, hearing them at a festival and how fucking cool it would be to hear that just bass thump through your chest. And I couldn't wait to listen to this song in the car. And it was, it did not disappoint because, oh, yeah. uh, yeah, it's fucking, I always picture EDM in that, in that headspace is like hearing this live and how cool it would feel to, to feel them, feel the music of, because that, that's as much of an EDM show as anything else is feeling the music kind of thump in your body. Yeah. Um, and this song would absolutely rattle your bones. For sure. So. My song on the show, Lyrics Lie by Dance Gavin Dance. Great fucking um, song. It's another, it's like that time of year where I really get into Dance Gavin Dance. Um, yeah, I, 
I've been having a really fun time like following them on Twitter because they're getting ready to put out an album. So I've been going back and listening to some of their old stuff this is from their most recent album in 2020. And it's just like a social commentary on how people make everything seem cooler on the internet than it actually is. Yeah. I think it's a social commentary on emo music as well. Cause it's like, they're making fun of like, remember that time we almost died. That didn't fucking happen. It's like, yeah, you fucking, of course you're going to lie to make it sound cooler. And I think the, the lyrics are pretty cheeky and I, I really enjoy the best thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life is Spotify putting lyrics on individual songs. Oh, dude, they saved my life. <laughs> it's great. You don't have to, like, I don't have to, I don't have to have a Genius tab open. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here, Genius. I'd love to see their how how what steep drop-off their, their clicks and ad revenue has had since Spotify started putting... I mean, their lyrics by Genius. Yeah. Like, I think Genius is maybe owned or partnered with Spotify, but still, like the actual clicks on the actual actual Genius website have to have taken a steep nosedive after. Yeah, that. incredible. It's 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 the best thing ever, because for me, some a lazy person. That's the I'm going to be honest with you. That's the main reason I don't break down lyrics on this show is because I don't want to fucking click back and forth. <laughs> but now they even like tell anecdotes during the song, <laughs> yeah. during breaks and lyrics. You're like, yeah. oh, this is nice. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fuck yeah. <laughs> i don't know uh so my album next week is going to be please please me we're going back to the very beginning the debut the debut uh from 1963 i'm super excited to talk about it because like i said i'm really into like the late 50s early 60s rock right now and listening to it got me so jacked up yeah it's it's funny because i listened to it um today as well and i was like this this song or this album is probably why a lot of people write off the Beatles because it is it's it it, it it's just them copying other artists and I think a lot of people do that at first. Obviously, you you copy someone until you can develop your own style and that's not a bad way to succeed because you're just taking a formula that works. And but it's funny to hear the Beatles doing that because I know them through the reference of them being hyper creative and like not unlike anyone I've ever heard before or since. And to hear them just basically doing rockabilly um, is super strange to me. Yeah. It's we're kind of doing the George Lucas style where we're going like middle and beginning. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I I was having so much fun listening to it because I was like, I wonder if I know any songs. And I only knew two. I knew Please Please, Please Me and uh, Twist and Shout. So I was like, all right, I'll you start listening to it from the very beginning. You didn't know Love Me Do? Mm-mm. Interesting. I really like Love Me Do. That's like the one song on this album that I really, really like. Yeah. Um, the rest of this album is fine. Um but love, love me do, or love me do is just cool. I just always like love me do, and then the, the harmonica, the wah, 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 wah. it just it's, it's different. It sounds yeah. different from the rest of the album. Yeah, I, I think we're gonna do the album a little different because it's it's what fourteen songs. Yeah, and they're all essentially the same. Yeah, they're but all- it'll be fun to like talk about some highlights, and yeah. we'll do things a little bit different and talk anecdotes more. So yeah, that's what we got in the the docket for next week. And then uh, we'll start doing some movies. Yeah, well, I'll just get mine out of the way. We're going to do Yellow Submarine first. Um, have you ever seen it? Have you ever seen the animation style for it? You're, I, I don't know if you're going to like it. I fucking love it. And everybody I've ever shown it to loves it. I think you're really going to like it with the um, the frame of reference you have for the Beatles now. Um, I, I've mentioned it last week, but the, the, Beatles, the actual Beatles didn't do any of the voiceover work for this because they weren't convinced it was a good project at first, but then they saw like the final cuts of it and they show up at the end of, like they make a little cameo and it's really, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, yeah. there's just some of my favorite jokes ever in this movie in this movie i talked about my one of my the way that movie opens is so funny and it's just a psychedelic trip through it's almost like cutting it almost looks like uh somebody took a bunch of construction paper and like taped diff, put like put different layers down to kind of make build the film it's awesome um yeah so i can't wait to talk about that yeah i'm excited so uh there you go. We might get Benji for that episode too because he loves Yellow Submarine almost probably as much as I do. <laughs> yeah, and we got a few weeks, so we can get it. We can we can make it work. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there you go. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.